Well, we are in our study. If you're new with us, I see a few new faces, and it's good to have you. We are walking through uh, God's Word together. Um, we call it expository. Uh, we're looking at what is God telling us from the text, and, uh, and what can we learn from that as God directed churches, and this one specifically, the church in Rome, is what can we learn from that? And that is our desire is to uh, study God's Word together and to proclaim it as truth and see how we might grow from it. Um, and as we do that, there are direct implications. There are things that are direct, singular truths. But as we deal with those truths, all of us have different life stages and we're dealing with those truths differently. Same truth, but we can apply it differently. And so my joy would be that we would grow and find great love in applying what we learn in our text this morning. Um, the study of two cultures, that's the reality. We live in two cultures. We are God, part of God's family and we live in this world. And, uh, and that, that cult, those cultures are combating with each other. Praise the Lord that Christ beat uh, the culture of sin and death, and we no longer are held captive by that because of what He did for us, and we have a payment for our sin. This morning, we're going to look at, we see that Paul was a slave, but not a slave to Rome, not in prison, or in, um, because he was in prison. He was uh, in prison in uh, Rome later on in his life, uh, but at this point, um, so he is in a different prison, but he ends up in Rome, and he ends up being dying for his faith uh, after he shared the gospel in Rome and uh, taught the believers there for many years. Um, so what we want to do is, is what happened and because of the gospel, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus has done for us, what, what happened to Paul? Did something happen to him? Did it change his character? Did it change his response to life? And we see that in the way that he prays, in the way that he talks about the church in Rome. We see his godly character come out. And so we want to talk about that in the portrait of a servant. Can we learn from these verses um, some things about Paul's life? And yes, we can. We saw that in what Pastor Ralph read to us. Everything that we will see in our text, uh, in Paul's prayer, in identifying the, uh, the saving servants or the, those that have been saved by Christ, the saints in Rome, we will see the qualities that Paul was discussing in 1 Corinthians 4. And so, um, and for that reason, we're going to look at those in our text this morning. Well, let's pray and ask God to bless the reading of the text as we look at verses 1 through 10 and look at verses specifically 8 through 10 this morning. Lord, help us because we live in a culture that is very distracting, is very hard, it is very difficult. You have even called us and told us that we are aliens, we are strangers, we don't always understand why we experience the things we do, the circumstance we find our feet, the pressures that are mounting in our flesh, on our back, in our thinking. Lord, it can be, bring about great sadness. It can bring about great trials. It can cause us to work so difficult in our life, to work hard and, and pass these difficulties and yet to no avail. Lord, I pray that we would just see you as our Father this morning, and as your sons and daughters, that we would run to you, and that we would let loose of the world, the things of the world, the pride of life, the fleshly things, the desires that we have, um, the pressures we feel, and we would just simply sit in your lap this morning, and as we read your word, and as you comfort us, May we hear those words from a father who wants to hold us dear and close to his heart as we remember that gospel in which you purchased us from the, the death of this life, the death of sin, the effects of that sin, that one day that we will live with you 
for the rest of eternity. So Lord, help us now to appreciate these words that come from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 1, God says this to us. Through the faithfulness of his enduring word, it says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, having been set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, who was designated as the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see that Jesus Christ is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is the gospel. Verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, or foremost, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how, without ceasing, I have made mention of you always in my prayers, earnestly asking if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. In 1 Timothy, as we think about this text, as we think about this prayer, as we think about the statements that God shares with us about the church in Rome, and we ask ourselves, so what is here what is God saying, and what can we take from that in, from Paul's life? And what we see really is, is an amazing portrait of a servant. We see described to us some very amazing aspects of our life with Christ. What being a, a slave to Christ, carrying the gospel, what effect does that have in our life and for our life? And we see this amazing portrait being painted and described to us of a servant, and that's what we want to look at. In 1 Timothy, uh, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, we see this very real thing that in Paul's life, Paul wanted the people of Christ to see and learn from his life to follow Christ to see the portrait of the servant and to learn from him, not to learn from him to follow Paul, but to learn from him. And as the gospel of Christ affected Paul, he wanted the servants of Christ to be affected by the gospel just as he had been. If you know of 2 Timothy chapter 3, we know that Paul says, hey, Timothy, you're going to face difficult times. You look at our life right now, and many of us know that we face difficult times. There are many in our church church body and our fellowship and in those around us in the world that are struggling difficult times. Not just difficult times because of hard things, but difficult times because there are people that just flat out love themselves, and they don't love others, and so they make life difficult for people, right? Right? They're boasters, they're arrogant, they're blasphemers, they're disobedient, they're ungrateful, they're unholy. And you see in verse 10, as he talks to Timothy, he says this, but after all that, he says, there's all these difficult things. He says, but you followed my teaching, but not only what he said in his teaching, but look at, he says, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
But it's interesting in verse 14, he says, even though all these things, he says, but you continue in the things you learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them. Paul is saying, look, look at my conduct, look at my life, look what I endured, look at all these things. See how the gospel has affected my life and follow me as I follow Christ. So this morning, that is the aspect of what we endeavor to do as we look at our verses this morning in verses 8 through 10. Actually, it's 8 through 15, but we're only going to get through verse 10 this morning. And that what should every Christian be as Paul gives us an example of his life, and that's what we really want to discover this this morning. What should we possess so that way we can be a portrait of a serpent? The first one is, is possess a real thankfulness. A real thankfulness, not just thank you, right? Have you ever wondered sometimes when somebody thanks you, you open the door, they say thank you, you know, did they really mean it? Or... You know, when, when you uh, give a, a, a tip and the wait, waitress says, thank you, it's like they didn't even look at the tip, right? I've seen people leave like a buck and they say, thank you. I only imagine in my mind, I left, all right, I, as we were eating dinner last week, I left and I was like, yeah, that she wasn't saying thank you in her heart, <laughs> right? Uh, and, but that was me. I don't know what she was thinking, but I was like, they didn't leave her a very good tip. It was like a party of six and left a buck on the table. I was like, Argh. I was like, wow. But what Paul is talking about is a real thankfulness based on a real relationship. What should we possess? Did you notice in, in verse 8 he says, and he says this, he says, first of all, which is funny because he never says second of all ever in the rest of the, in, Ro, in Romans. So I don't know if he just got lost in his thoughts, like I do, and just forgot the list that he was thinking of. But I don't know. But he says, first of all, I thank my God. I thank my God. Have you ever thought about not very many people are thankful? Have you ever thought about, not only that not very many people are thankful, but have you ever wondered why a lot of Christians aren't? more thankful? It's amazing. Right from the get-go, when he's talking to the Romans, he draws special attention to thankfulness, to being that he, first of all, I am thankful. And in fact, if you go look at every one of the letters that Paul has ever written to churches, as God said, write these words to the church, as he writes them, almost every time he starts off with saying, I am thankful. But I want you to see what's very real about this thankfulness. Did you notice what he says right after that? He says to the church, he goes, I am so thankful for you. But he says in verse 8, he says, first of all, I thank my God. We skip right over that and we say, well, yeah, we thank God all the time. But did you see that the, the emphasis on my? It's a... It's a Modifier modifies God. It's personal. He's thanking God in a very personal way for the church in Rome. You know, you know what's amazing is in the pagan world of that day, in Rome, in throughout the, that, that area, no pagan, there's never, no mention of people ever thanking their idols. In archaeology, they just don't have mention of that. Isn't that amazing? No pagan would make that statement. Most Jews, for that matter, in their writings during this period, did not thank God. They don't use that personal pronoun. They would say, thank God for this or thank God for that. But they didn't really say, I think, my God. It really emulates David's life. You ever wonder why David was a man after God's own heart? I mean, man, he committed adultery. 
He had lust in his heart. He killed someone. He, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, how could that big of a sinner be a man after God's own heart? Well, listen to Paul. In, in Psalm 18, verse 2, he says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You see the personal inflection here. It is Paul is crying from his heart in a very personal way that it is, this is mine. We quickly often go in our life and we say, you know, we want God to be these things. But do we reach out to him in a very personal way? Lord, you are mine. Psalm 91 verse 2 says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. It's really an amazing secret to thankfulness, this possession, what makes thankfulness so real to God and for things in our life is this personal deep connection with the Lord. And in fact, did you notice the very next thing in verse 8? It says, I thank my God, why? Through Jesus Christ for all of you. Through Jesus Christ. Why can he have such a personal connection with God? It's because of Jesus Christ. The same word there, through, it means to have a direct conduit to. We have a direct conduit to a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. How do we have a real thankfulness in our life? How do we maintain a real joy and thankfulness based on a real relationship with God? Well, it comes through Jesus Christ. The real answer lies in placing Jesus Christ at the center of our life, making Him our sufficient joy, our sufficient need, our su- to be satisfied sufficiently with Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. If we make other things, material things, physical blessings, if we, all of them, dictate our thankfulness, we will likely be depressed and devastated. Right? Easy come, easy go. I mean, you bought something brand new only to destroy it the next day. It happens. It just, it happens. We live in a fallen world. Why take pleasure or satisfaction in physical, material things? So, the portrait of a servant of the Lord, we see that Paul was extremely thankful in a very personal way. But secondly, we see this, that he possesses a genuine faith. Do you know what he was thankful for? In the end of verse 8, he says, because, talking to the church in Rome, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. He, he stops and he looks. He says, I'm a slave of Christ and, and I was saved by God and you were saved by God and I am so thankful for you I'm thankful for my God, and I'm thankful for all of you because of your faith. Paul had a real faith, didn't he? The church in Rome, he says he's thankful because they had a real faith. They possessed a genuine faith, not just a real faith, but a genuine faith, a a solid faith, a faith that made a difference, right? Right? The secret in Paul's life for thankfulness was being satisfied in Christ. And part of that overflows to the fact that in our faith, when we're satisfied with Christ and what he did on the cross for our sins, we have this real, genuine faith. We realize that all things flow through Christ. Think about it. Have you ever asked this question, how did Rome and the church in Rome survive? How did their Christian lives affect the pagans around them? 
I mean, have you ever stopped to think about this? He's, he's, Paul is thankful for their faith, that they have a, this genuine faith. The Roman histor, uh, historian Tacticus, I, I love history, so I read all sorts of things, but Roman historian Tacticus writes about the Roman city, and during this time, this is what he writes. He says, out of Rome, from Rome, flows all things that are vile and abominable. He describes Rome as a cesspool. And, and by the way, Tacticus is not a believer, right? So he's not writing from a believer's perspective. He's writing from an uh, 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 unbeliever Roman culture perspective. How in the world did their faith be proclaimed to the whole world? Have you ever stopped to think about that? If Rome was such a cesspool, how did they survive? Genuine faith. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Faith is this. this the Greek word for faith is literally means relying on what the easiest way to describe it is this. It's not having a, a trust in something that we don't see, but that is part of it. But we often go to that Hebrew verse. But this is what is being described to us here. It's faith is relying on what God has done rather than what we can do. We don't control our circumstances. We realize that God is in control. The first reason that the reputation for the, for the church in Rome was worth having was that their faith was genuine. It was true. It was based on what God had done and is doing and it had nothing to do with what they could do. Their faith was so dynamic that it spread to the whole world. Right? It was, sounds like a pandemic, doesn't it? It spread. You know, we always wonder these days, what, why are we spreading? Well, the church in Rome was spreading faith. Real, it was dynamic. You know the d- difference between static and dynamic, right? right? We climbed, and my, when I was studying to be able to train people to rappel and climb. I did that in college, and then I led people in, in doing rappelling and rock climbing and stuff periodically through my ministry. Um, and I don't do that anymore because if I did, I, just, I wouldn't walk, I don't think, anymore. <laughs> but we had static rope and we had dynamic rope. And my professor said, make sure you know what rope you have. Because if you use the wrong rope, it can be devastating. And uh, he said, let's, let's show you what I mean. He says, here's a static rope and here's a dynamic rope. He says, when you're repelling off a cliff, you want, or you're being belayed and you're climbing up a cliff, you want a very dynamic rope. I was like, okay. Didn't get what he meant. He says, uh, when you don't want to go anywhere and you just want to stay put, you want a static rope. I'm like, okay. He says, let me show you. He, uh, he got, he, I climbed up 10 feet on the harness. He said, now drop, and I'll, get, I'll catch you. And, uh, we had a st- and he goes, this is a static rope. And he, I dropped, and I just you know, stopped immediately. Static means it didn't stretch. And I stopped immediately and slammed right into the side of the cliff. It was brutal. I was like, I'm glad it was just 10 feet. I was dropping. I dropped with a, and he says, now climb up 75 feet. Let's put in the dynamic rope. And he said, now drop. I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> He's like, you ruined me. As <laughs> like my body was shaking. I was like, I felt the first one. So finally, I was like, all right, I, I need to trust him. And, you know, he's quoting to me Proverbs 3. He's like, trust in the Lord. Come on. You know, don't lean on your own understanding. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> That's what my body was saying. I was like, <laughs> so, so I jumped off like he told me. And as I came down, it just, the rope just stretched. And it was like, ooh, it was like, you know, I was like, wow. There's a huge difference from static to dynamic. Their faith was dynamic. It was spreading. As they were being stretched, as they were, it didn't just stop. 
sometimes we come to the Lord in faith and we just stop. We're not really trusting. We're not being stretched by God. Their faith was so dynamic, it was open to all to hear. Faith is really an attitude of trust. Let me ask, here or stop, why do we struggle with our faith so much then? Right? You say, well, I trust in the Lord. Well, do you trust Him in a very static way or in a very dynamic way? So then why, is our faith, why does our faith struggle? Well, so often time it's subdued. Here are some things that subdue it. This individualistic religious feelings that it's all based, faith is all based on how we feel. In some people's mind, faith is thought of chiefly as a subjective religious feeling, entirely divorced of God's written truth. It's funny. They're like, it's all about my feeling. It's what I feel. Faith is how I feel about things. And so it's like, it, that type of approach will stagnate your faith. Because our, our feelings are all over the board because it depends on what's happening in your life. I ate some gluten-free food while I was gone. It's supposed to be good for you. I didn't sleep very well that night. I don't know what happened. Jonathan, I was like, man, what'd you have to eat? And he goes, oh, I ate the pork. I, I, I always eat pork. So I ate gluten-free. Man, it hurt. I don't know what happened. So, uh, but, you know, it was funny. It was just like, it was horrible. Feelings, I felt horrible the whole next day. Feelings can be driven by all sorts of different things. I asked some Mormons once, I was like, how do you know that you're saved from your sins? I, I feel it in my gut. And I was like, could that be the pizza you ate last night? <laughs> I have said that, so I slapped myself later, but they did come over and eat it. I invited them to eat at my house, so I, I, I paid that back. But sometimes we put too much emphasis on feeling rather than who God is. We have great emotion with God because God is great. The things that happen to us in our world are not great compared to the holiness and comprehensive God that we have. Many people, faith is not real because it's based on a lot of emotions and feelings. A lot of times also it's because of wishful thinking. Another absolute substitute for true faith is wishful thinking. This is the attitude of people who who will accept something as true only because they strongly wish it to be true. Oh, I so long for this. I wish it to be true. And, and, and they, have, they put a false sense of faith because of something they wish for. I do long for Christ to return, but I long for Christ to return based on the truth of what God has said and who He is. Not on just because of what I'm feeling in the day. So many times, wishful thinking is not genuine faith. And it can subtract our faith. How about optimism? This one hits home to me. I'm the eternal optimist. I always, no matter how bad things are, I'm like, oh, it, it, you know, this too shall pass, right? It's like, up, oh, you know, I was an eternal optimist trying to save one of our sows. And that didn't go well. But... Sometimes just how we think, oh, and we see this. People are preached this way. We have to have the power of positive thinking, right? If you're just positive enough, you'll be good, and your faith will grow, and you'll do great things, and then you fall flat on your face, and you're like, wait a minute, didn't they just... I thought all the problems would go away because I, I'm so optimistic. No, it's... Optimism, if it's not defined by something that is for sure and concrete, it doesn't mean anything. Christ died for my sins. That is for sure. 
I don't have to have optimism. I know, and therefore I can trust in my Savior. By the way, Paul per, um, put a, put a, a, an, a dynamic effect to their faith, and that is, did you notice they said it was proclaimed throughout the whole world? It was proclaimed. It was spoken. It was not just that they proclaimed it. It was others proclaimed it. Paul wasn't even in Rome, but he was hearing about their dynamic faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was being passed on. That's how come we know it was dynamic. That's the real question. Is your faith being proclaimed? Declared openly. Now think about this. Did the church in Rome... We often think about the modern era. Did they have cell phones? It was funny. I was talking to Jonathan on the trip, and I said, well, in our day, I, I had to write a letter, not a text. I had to write a letter to prove to my wife that I was serious, right? She knew it was real when I wrote a letter. You, you know why? Because I never wrote a letter <laughs> until... Things got serious. Then I wrote a letter, right? We didn't have cell phones. Church in Rome didn't have internet. Oh, did you see that post on Facebook or Twitter? Or did you see the, that which was the news on the internet? You know, we don't even watch news on TV anymore. It's like news through the internet. That's just weird thinking for me. But I read my news again. I remember everybody used to laugh when people read newspapers, but I, I'm back to reading my news again on the internet. But here's the funny thing. They didn't have any of that, and yet the gospel was small little church of people. Their faith was dynamic. How do we become a servant or what's the portrait of a servant? Well, we need to possess a commitment to a lifestyle of worship. You say, well, we do that. We come every Sunday and we sing songs. That's not worship. Singing is not worship. In fact, matter of fact, praying can be not worship <laughs> because worship depends on who your focus is on, right? Going to church depends on who your focus is on. If it's about me, then it becomes consumerism. If it's about God, it becomes worship. Right? You have to possess a commitment or lifestyle of worship. Look at verse 9. He says, he goes, not only is your faith being pushed out into the whole world, but he goes on to say that, for God, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Notice the word serve. Did you know the word serve here is the same word for worship? It's interchangeable. It's the same word in Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Isn't that great, by the way? That when God asks us to sacrifice ourselves, he says, be a living one. By the way, that's dynamic, isn't it? Because if he asked you to be a, a, just a standard dead sacrifice, that's static. Do you see the dynamic faith here? Be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And if some of your translations will say service. Service and worship are interchangeable. But it all depends on who you're directing it at. If you're directing it at you, it won't be It'll be a static worship or a static service if, you're if it'll be dynamic when your service is directed at God, at Christ. He's telling the Romans that in Romans 13, 13, and he says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality and in sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Look at verse 9. He's, he's saying, whom I serve in my spirit. 
You know, in my spirit literally means with your whole heart. He's saying, he's saying, Paul is saying, look, look at me. I am serving with my whole heart. I'm worshiping with my whole heart. Now, what would happen if you had no heart? That'd be pretty static, wouldn't it? We have, you know, talk, Marilyn earns the right to joke about her heart. We joke about it at her house sometimes. I guess she's having heart complications, so she jokes about it. It's harder for me to joke about it because I'd be insensitive. But we laugh. Why? Because her faith is dynamic. She loves the Lord. She doesn't love her heart, but she loves the Lord with all her heart. That's amazing, this idea of serving. Paul's worship and service are interchangeably related. His worship was not an act of service. His service was not an act of worship. Think about it. It was one and the same. As we serve, we worship. As we worship, we serve. We serve the Lord. He's saying, hey, church in Rome, I want you to know, for God, whom I serve in the Spirit, in the gospel of the Son is my witness. God is his witness. I am serving. Now, why is he saying this? Have you thought about this? How many times have Paul tried to go to Rome? How many times have he said, I'm going to go to Rome? How many times did he actually get to Rome? He, He had to get there the hard way. How many times have we gotten upset with people because they've said, oh, I'm going to come, I'm going to come, I'm going to come, but they don't come? Can you imagine that he's saying, hey, look, I want you to know, I am serving, I am serving, and I'm doing everything I can, and God is my witness. God knows my heart. I am serving with my whole heart. You know what a portrait of a true servant is? Is one who's committed to this kind of lifestyle of serving with their whole heart. Forget the whole top-down model. Get off the ladder of God, you know, others, and then you just draw a big circle and put God in it. Let that affect everything in your life. Serve, worship God, and let that one focus affect everything. The fourth thing here is is that he possesses a prayer-filled life. He says, For God, whom I serve in the Spirit, in the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how, without ceasing, I make mention of you. Always in my prayers, earnestly asking, if perhaps now at last, you notice that I said earlier, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. (laughs) At last. (laughs) That's His joy and hope. At last, that I might finally get there. Right? My card keeps breaking down. I'll get there. Don't worry. Eventually, uh, you know, I'm going to say, hey, you know what? I, I committed a crime in my life. Maybe the police officer will pick me up and take me to the town I need to get to. No, don't do that. I'm just saying, Paul, he's saying, look, I want to stand before Caesar, so take me to Rome. Right? <laughs> he, was, he asked to be put in jail, even though he did nothing wrong. Right? But look at this. He possesses a prayer-filled life. He never ceases to stop praying for them, to make mention of them to the Lord, always praying. First Thessalonians, right? Paul said, pray without ceasing. Always pray. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, he talks to the Lord and says he prays for the church that they would receive and understand the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Philippians 1, 9 through 11, he's praying for the church. He never stops praying. In our Bible study for Sunday school, in the adult Sunday school, we've been going through the the book Knowing God by J.R. Packard. Amazing. In the preface, it says that J.R. Packard was asked to write a, a theology book that people could understand. I don't know how successful he was, but... (laughs) <laughs> it's, it, is, it is hard to understand, but it is amazing. So we're going through it like 
two weeks, you know, one chapter every two weeks so we could take the time to understand it. But he says this on prayer. Jaya Packer argues that your prayer life is a window into your relationship with God. The better, he goes on to say, the better you know God, the more energy you have for prayer and to stand for God's cause. Packer argues this. If you have little energy for prayer, that is because you scarcely know God. Do not be discouraged to find find how lacking you are when you put this to the test. This is why we are engaged in the study of God's Word, to know God, to measure the progress of our knowing God in our life. To affect our prayer. And that's so true, is, is that the more we know God, the more we run to God in prayer. We don't just say, oh, God, keep me on the road. I was thinking that when I got in a car accident about a month ago. Some of you may not know that. I told my white pickup, but that's just a whole other story. But uh, I was good. I actually, my back is better after the accident than before. I don't know. I don't understand it. I really don't. <laughs> But uh, he did what years of chiropractor work could not do. But my back is better. I just don't have a truck. That's okay. God gave me a bigger truck. <laughs> don't need the white truck. Uh, so, But here's the thing. I was like, I can remember in the time God stopped the truck. God had other plans. And then I remember praying. I was like, well, Lord, thank you. Man, I am so thankful the lady that I hit walked out of the car, and, and I'm sitting there praying in the car. And she comes out. She's, she's like, you, she's frantic. Are you okay? Because my eyes were closed. <laughs> and I'm sitting there just <laughs> thinking, oh, my word. As I prayed, and I was just confessing to the Lord as like, all these things, and I was like, oh, Lord, and, and then I confessed to her, and just, she was so, you know, she, I'm like, are you okay, and she goes, I've hardly felt it, and I was like, oh, man, and, uh, and I hit her trailer hitch on her big, big truck, and it just totaled mine, but do you see what Paul is saying? It's like, look, guys, I, God is my witness of how I have never stopped praying for you. You are in my heart. There's a lesson to be learned here about being a true servant of God. Do you see the burden on his heart for others, for the church in Rome? By the way, he didn't just have this burden for just Rome. You'll see that burden come out in all the epistles he, he wrote to churches. He, he, so many times, just like in my life, we just start praying for ourselves. It's very easy to do. And I'm thinking, why is that? As a servant, I, I, I struggle. And we do that. I do that. I did that. But you think about Ephesians 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord Always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, anytime God says something twice, you better listen, right? <laughs> Not just twice, but twice in the same sentence. And he says, then everything, he said, don't be anxious. Don't focus on your circumstances. Don't focus on what's going on around you. But everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And then what? And then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. We need to have a prayer-filled life. By the way, supplication is asking prayers for others. Do you want to deal with your circumstances better? Do you want to have, do you want to, do you want to try to control your circumstances? Or do you want God to give you peace in your circumstances? Start praying for others. Ask God, you know, it's nothing wrong with saying, God, I need help. But how are we to be thankful? Well, pray for others. I'm, you know, and, and it's amazing what God does. It gives you a peace that empowers your thinking, empowers the, 
your heart, your, your mind, your emotions. The last thing I want to look at this morning is that this. Paul is really, really writing in a really amazing Jewish way. He's giving us this, he's going up to this point. This is his crescendo in this sentence. And then he's going to come crashing down on the other side. And you know how it is when you, have you ever done that where you come up a hill, right? I remember riding my bike. I said to a guy, he goes, I want to take you bike riding. I'm like, great, let's go. He says, are you going to be okay with 30 miles? I'm like, I think so. 30 miles on a bike, not bad. I, I, I jog, you know, four or five miles. I, 30 miles on a bike, that can't be too bad. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> he took me up the highest incline in our city. And I mean, I was riding up the first, I got up the first mile on the bike, the first mile. It's only three miles. I got the first mile. I'm looking down at my average speed. You know, he has an average speed on the speedometer. And the average speed said like 1.8 miles per hour. I'm like, I'm an idiot. I can walk three miles an hour. I got off the bike and walked the last two miles. But you know what? The last two miles was brutal, even walking the bike up the last two miles. He's riding the whole thing. I think he's averaging like five, eight miles an hour. I'm like, I get to the top, and it is just as steep, but it is 20 miles long the rest of the way. And it taught me something. I was like, you know, I struggled so, but thank the Lord he took me up three miles and didn't take me up the 20 miles. He could have done it reverse, couldn't he? He did ask me a couple months later, hey, do you want to do it backwards? I said, no. <laughs> Go have fun. <laughs> right? I did do a 100-mile back ride with him once, and I never rode again. My back just couldn't handle it, and I didn't want to do it, frankly. <laughs> but you know what? You start to realize, I, you know, I made it up those three miles. Thank the Lord I didn't have to do 20 miles uphill. I averaged 35, 38 miles an hour the rest of the trip. But man, did it, my, my legs hurt so bad from the first part of the trip. Sometimes... We go through life, and if we're not prayer-filled, if we're not worshiping God, we struggle. Our circumstances hurt us. We get so focused on what's in front of us, and we don't see what God really has for us. Paul didn't understand. He didn't know why. If you go to Acts 16, in verses 6 through 7, it says, And they went through the, Paul went through the regions of uh, Phygelia to Galatia, He's been, and he says, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when we come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them to. But they don't know why. God just said, no, you're not going there. So all this time that Paul kept trying to go places, Paul, God kept sending him somewhere else. And did you see how he's ended his prayer. He says, always in my prayers, earnestly asking if perhaps now at last, but look at the modifier here, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. If it's God's will, I'm going to get there. I don't know how it's going to happen. My desire is to get there. I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm praying for you. I am longing to serve you. I am longing to worship and to serve Christ. And, by, and I want to be there with you. But do you see the submissiveness here? By the will of God. It doesn't matter whatever desires you have in your life. If it doesn't match up with God's will, it's going to be a hard row. You know, have you ever tried to row in a high wind? Or how, have you ever tried to row pulling a submerged kayak? Right? You ask Kedrick about that story. He'll let you know. But here's the thing. 
there's nothing worse in life than trying to do something. You desire it, you desire it, you desire it, and it just doesn't seem to be happening. Why? Paul just simply says, you know what? It's by the will of God. This is what I want, and I'm going to wait for God to do what God wants to do. Do you have a submissive will? This was Paul's character. This is how he lived his life. This is how he ended up dying in the end, proclaiming the gospel of Christ. I love in the middle of 1 Corinthians 4, in verse 16, in which Pastor Ralph read to us, he says this, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Do you see the ways that he's portraying before us to possess a submissive will, being submitted to Christ, being submitted to what God wants rather than what we want? Don't you like it or do you hate it when people say very blunt things? Look at the way James 4 puts this. Verse 13, Come now, you, you, you who say tomorrow or today, we will go into such a place and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are in are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Any blunt? Stop focusing on what you say, oh, I'm going. How many times have you done that? You'd think I'd learn living on a farm. Oh, tomorrow I'm going to do this. Or tomorrow I'm going to do that. I can't tell you how many times I've told my wife, tomorrow I'm going to do that. She just smiles. I've learned what that smile is. <laughs> it means, okay, honey. <laughs> We will see. <laughs> she doesn't even say it. I just I know it now. <laughs> James 4, verse 17, it says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. How do we deal with the thing? Submit to God. As we end, here's these things. What do we take from this? As servants of the Lord, as believers in Christ, as a church body, we need thankfulness over circumstances. We need to pursue thankfulness over focusing on our circumstances. We need thankfulness. We need thankfulness. We need thankfulness. We need to act on what we know to be true. We need to act on what we know to be true. Our faith needs, if, if we act on what we know to be true about God, our faith will be dynamic. We will talk about God. We will live for God. We will rely on God. We will trust God. We will not be static and dead in our faith. We will be dynamic. People will talk. That's what I, you know, I asked people when I candidated at the church four years ago, I asked, I, asked I, you don't, I, you know, I talk about it, but I went around, I went around Ferndale and just asked people, hey, do you know that, you know, do you know First Baptist Church? They're like, most people didn't know the name of the church. And I said, oh, I, th I think it's that church over there. Oh, you mean the one that's the copper top one, you know, the yellow and copper top. You know, I said, Duracell? Are they, I'm like, I, I was being silly, but. They're like, oh, yeah, they, they knew the building color and the color of our roof. And then I, and they said, oh, you know, they do this really amazing parking lot party. And every single person I talked to mentioned the parking lot party. Right? And I was like, well, that's one thing I'm not quitting. Because <laughs> I, I've tweaked the parking lot party over the years so that way we're talking the gospel and I'm talking about our faith more. But it's fun to just bless our community. We need to act on what we know to be true. The more we act on what we know to be true about God, the more our faith will be proclaimed. 
We need to fill our life with a life of serving God, not a social life. A social life will not be a worshiping life. A serving life for the Lord a worship, will be a worshiping life. I, I've never seen somebody that loves to serve that doesn't worship. I've never seen a person that loves to worship that doesn't serve. It's just that way. We need that kind of lifestyle. We need to communicate with God minute by minute. We need to communicate with God minute by minute, not week by week or month by month, but minute by minute. We need a prayer-filled life. Here's the, here's the, I saved the hardest one for last. We need to subject our desires to God's desires. Who's controlling your desires? Is it the circumstances in your life? Is it the world? We constantly say, I can't stand the world. I can't tell you how many times we ridicule the government, we tease, we, we get mad about things, we, we get upset so much, but we align our desires to it. I don't understand it. We worry so much. Our desires are so driven by the world. And yet we ridicule the world so much. We hate it. Subject our desire to God's desires. God loves to bless those who submit to him. The more you love God, the more you become obedient, the more he empowers your life to get through life. When we face hardships, when we face struggles, when we face pressure, when we're hurting, when all is lost, we have a rock that we can cling to, the Lord Jesus Christ. The more we love him, the more we get through the storms of life because we have a Savior. We have a Lord who is above all things, who is not controlled by circumstances like we are. Subject your desires, be submissive to God, and let Him just love on you as a father who loves His children. And when you run to Him and you've sinned, and He sits there and says, Oh, son and daughter, you are forgiven. Now let me show you the way that you need to go because I've cleared a path for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Run to him as your father. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't be scared. Don't feel shame and guilt. Confess your sins. Acknowledge God. And when you confess your sins and you acknowledge that he is God, he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these powerful words that came as an example of Paul's life and how he was living, how he was praying, what he loved about the Roman church. We see an outflow of the gospel. We see what, Jesus, what happens when you get a hold of our life. We become an amazing servant. Lord, may we learn, may it be our desire to possess these examples in our life. May they empower us past our circumstances. May we submit to you as Paul submitted his desires to you. May we too do the same. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we say that a lot, but we thank you because... You are ours. You are personable. You, you are here with us. You are literally the God with us, residing in our hearts, who desires to just love on us as sons and daughters. And yet, we cling many times to your enemy. Forgive us. Lord, forgive me of my sin, my pride, my desires that don't line up with yours, that I try to fulfill on my own strength. Lord, may we simply come to you and just throw ourselves at your mercy and receive grace 
in a time of need. And may we rejoice because of what you have done for us. And we can know it. And we can live it. We can trust it. In Jesus' name we pray.